Uh, my name is Lucas. I'm the lead pastor here at Bayview Glen. Glad that you're here with us this morning. If you're new with us this morning, you uh, picked a great Sunday to be here because today we're starting a brand new series, seven weeks, uh, talking about spiritual discipline, spiritual habits, spiritual practices. And the series is called The Trellis and the Vine. So for the next seven weeks, here's our goal. Our goal is to establish seven kind of habits or spiritual exercises, some call them spiritual disciplines, that might help us to draw near to God and experience him every day. So spiritual disciplines are simply behaviors that augment our spiritual growth and enable us to grow toward spiritual maturity. So for those of you who joined us last week, let's uh, use kind of some of the language that we used last week to help us understand what we're doing in the series of the Trellis and the Vine. All of us experience God's common grace. That's his favor that's poured out on all humankind. Many of us have experienced God's saving grace. But what about his sanctifying grace? What about that favor that God pours out onto us that produces holiness, that causes us to grow in the likeness of Christ? Or what about God's liberating grace, that grace of God that frees us from bondage and frees us from chains? How do we live in such a way and how do we establish kind of a rule of life, a pattern of life, a, a little bit of a rhythm of life? And these spiritual practices help us to access and live in God's sanctifying grace and liberating grace every day. So the purpose of spiritual habits is simply to create space in your life in order to live in and uh, get, be exposed to that grace of God on a daily basis. And today we're going to start with one of those spiritual habits, the habit of fasting. But before we get there, I want us to establish a very clear biblical purpose for spiritual habits, because that's really, really important that we do that today. And before we do any of that, I would love for us to just join our hearts together in prayer and ask that God speak to us this morning. So would you pray with me? Spirit of God, we believe you're in this place. We believe, God, that you are Everywhere that we go, we can't go to the heights and escape you or the depths and escape you. Before a word is on our tongue, before a thought crosses our mind, oh Lord, you know it. But in this place on Sunday morning, as we gather together as the body of Christ, um, we turn our ears to you. So God, kind of heighten our awareness of your spirit today. Allow us to be attentive to what you might have to say to us in and through your word. In the name of Christ, the people of God together said, amen. So here we go. We want to start with a, a reason, a biblical purpose for spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits. Now, the night before Jesus was betrayed, he spent the evening with his disciples. They celebrated Passover together. They worshiped together. And Jesus knew that the time was coming soon when he would no longer be with them in bodily form. The next day, he would be betrayed and then go to the cross, subsequently go to the cross. Uh, three days later, he would resurrect from the tomb. And then 40 days after that, he would ascend into heaven. So soon, the Holy Spirit would inhabit and empower the disciples. And their relationship with Jesus would become a purely spiritual encounter because Jesus would not be with them in bodily form any longer. And Jesus knew for his disciples that cultivating spiritual life 
in a world that is myopically focused on physical would be challenging to say the very least. You might notice the same about yourself. Cultivating spirit life in a world that is so focused on physical can be a tricky task. So Jesus wanted to give his disciples some final instructions with regard to relating to God in spirit. So after Jesus left the upper room where they celebrated Passover, he took his disciples east outside of the city gate of Jerusalem and they began to travel north toward the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would subsequently uh, be betrayed. That journey outside of the city gate and north toward Gethsemane would have taken them through countless vineyards. And Jesus and his disciples walked past grapevine after grapevine. And as they did, Jesus began to unfold a metaphor, a picture in order to help his disciples understand what spiritual life really looked like. Look up here on the screen. Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So this metaphor, this picture that Jesus uses for spiritual life is a multi-layered picture. So we need to unpack it piece by piece. We're going to begin with the branches. What's the sole purpose of a branch? Well, Jesus says it three times in just two verses. The sole purpose of a branch is to bear fruit. So say this with me. Branches bear fruit. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Let's try it again. Branches bear fruit. No one cares if the branch looks bad or smells bad or isn't quite the right color green. If the branch is bearing quality fruit and quantity fruit, everybody's happy because the branch only has one job to bear fruit. But the branch doesn't live on its own. The vine gives life to the branches. So say this with me. The vine gives life. The vine gives life. So if the branch remains connected to the vine, it will continue to bear fruit. But if you disconnect the branch from the vine, it will no longer bear fruit. And more importantly, it won't survive at all because the vine gives life. Finally, in Jesus' word picture here, you've got a vine dresser. The vine dresser prunes. Say that. The vine dresser prunes. He cares for the branches such that they continue to draw life from the vine and ultimately achieve their purpose, which is to... There you go. You're awesome. You're doing great. We're, we're going to get more participatory this morning as we go, so buckle your safety belts and do it with enthusiasm, okay? You with me? Good. Perfect. This is spiritual life. We are, you and I, are like branches that are connected to a vine. And just as the, the branch's only goal is to bear fruit, the Christ follower's goal is to bear fruit, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, just to name a few. So you don't have to write these things down. We're just going to repeat them together just to make sure we understand what Jesus is getting at here in his word picture. So repeat this after me. I am a branch. My job is to bear fruit. One more time. I am a branch. My job is to bear fruit. 
Nice job, you're preachers, congratulations. Jesus said that he is our vine. He's our nourishment and life. And in order to bear fruit, we must remain connected to him. So here's what Jesus says. He says, Jesus is the vine, and he gives me life. Let's declare it together again. Jesus is the vine, and he gives me life. We just got one more to go. And we have a heavenly vine dresser. And our heavenly vine dresser cultivates environments and situations in our life in order to prune us so that we bear fruit. So Jesus says the Father is the vine dresser. Say that. Last one. He prunes me so that I bear fruit. So here's my question. How does the vine dresser do that? How does the vine dresser prune you and me so that we bear fruit? What are the tactics that he uses? What are the methods that the vine dresser uses in order to prune us as his branches? The answer to that question is in two of the Greek words that Jesus uses when he exhorts his disciples regarding spiritual life. So we're going to look at these two Greek words. Jesus says, I'm the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Do you see tactic number one? This is tactic number one that the vine dresser uses in order to prune us. The original Greek word here is iro. And it can mean take away or it can mean lift up or pick up. So that's, that's tactic number one that the vine dresser takes away or lifts us up or picks us up. And every branch that does bear fruit, he what? Prunes. This is tactic number two. This word is kathairo. Jesus is kind of doing a little bit of a play on words here. Iro and kathairo. And this word means prune or cleanse. So here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is telling us that our heavenly vine dresser lifts us and cleanses us so that we bear fruit. Let's get the picture in our heads here because this is critical to understand why we practice spiritual disciplines. This is not a grapevine. This is English ivy, and it's living, and it is a climbing vine, like a grapevine is a climbing vine. We got English ivy because they're a really hardy plant. Grapevines are a little bit delicate, and Lord knows if it's going to be here for seven weeks, I would kill it. But I don't think I can kill English ivy. So grapevines, like English ivy, are climbing vines. That is to say that they are meant to grow up. When they grow along the ground, they're prone to disease. They're prone to insect infestation or trampling. So if a grapevine's branch grows along the ground, it might bear fruit, but it will certainly not bear the quality and quantity of fruit that the vine dresser intends. So here's what would happen. If a branch grew along the ground, the vine dresser would pick it up, lift it up, or as Jesus would say, take it away from the ground. And then when he prunes it, he would cleanse it and attach it to a support structure like this one in order to elevate it and protect it and expose it to the sun that it so desperately needed. Is everybody with me? So when the vine dresser lifted the branches away from the ground, cleansed them, he would attach them to something like this, a trellis. A trellis is simply an architectural structure that is designed to support climbing vines like this one and like the grapevines that Jesus and his disciples would have been walking through during this conversation. 
And Jesus doesn't explicitly mention a trellis in John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, but his word picture implies the existence of a support structure because when the vine dresser lifted a branch away from the ground, he would have attached it to something like this. In fact, trellises or support structures for vines predate Jesus by 2,000 years. They were actually critical part, a critical part of viticulture or raising grapevines in first century Palestine. So when Jesus and his disciples left the upper room and traveled east outside the city gates and north towards Gethsemane, they would have walked through vineyards that were lined with trellises. In the same way, our heavenly vine dresser sometimes sees that his branches are not bearing fruit because they're growing along the ground. They're susceptible to disease, to insects, and to trampling. So he gently lifts us up, cleans us off, and exposes us to the sunlight that we so desperately need. This is spiritual life. But what does our heavenly vine dresser lift his branches to? What support structure do we cling to in order to bear fruit? To ask that another way, how do you and I as Christians remain in a prime growing space such that we bear maximum fruit both in quality and in quantity? I would submit to you this morning, and this is what we're going to do for the next seven weeks, that you and I can create sort of a spiritual trellis in our own life. A support structure in the form of life habits and practices, and dare I say, even disciplines that build for us a spiritual support structure because we were meant to climb and grow and remain lifted up and most importantly, bear more fruit. So just as a branch needs a support structure like a trellis, we need a spiritual support structure in the form of spiritual habits. Everybody with me? Good. So over the next seven weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to journey one by one through seven spiritual habits that might become for us a sort of spiritual trellis, a support structure to which we cling so that we are exposed to God's light and nourishment every day so that we can live in his sanctifying and liberating grace. And each week we're going to do two things. First, we're going to establish one fact about trellises. Establish one fact about trellises, and my hope is that they would help us understand why we engage in spiritual habits, and even perhaps most importantly, why we don't engage in spiritual habits, or what spiritual habits aren't for. I hope I'm saying that right. The second thing that we're going to do is add one piece to our spiritual trellis in the form of a life habit or practice. Today's habit is fasting. We'll get there momentarily, but let's start here this morning with trellis fact number one, because this is critical in understanding why we're doing what we're doing. Trellis fact number one, if you're taking notes, jot this down. The vine dresser doesn't care how pretty your trellis is. Some of you know where I'm going with this. For those of you who don't, just stick with me. I promise it'll make sense in a moment. The vine dresser does not care how pretty your trellis is. So these days, you might go through a garden or go into somebody's yard, and you you might see a very beautiful and very ornate trellis. And those trellises are fantastic. But someone who is raising vines, a viticulturist, a vine dresser, does not care if the uh, the trellis is pretty or the prelice is tritty, which is what I was about to say. 
if the trellis is pretty. The vine dresser needs for the trellis to do a job. In other words, the vine dresser doesn't care how pretty or good looking the trellis is. The trellis serves a purpose. It's functional. It's not aesthetic. So let's import this principle into spiritual terms. Your heavenly father is interested in you developing spiritual practices like prayer and Bible study for a purpose, but he's not interested in you looking good on the outside. Does that make sense? Spiritual discipline, spiritual habits like Bible study, like prayer, like fasting today aren't meant to help you look good to others around you. They're certainly not meant to help you impress God. He's a vine dresser. He's interested in fruit. You're his branch. You have one job. Produce fruit. The trellis isn't there to look pretty. It's there to help everyone accomplish their goal, which is more fruit. Look how Jesus says this actually in Matthew chapter 6. He says this. He says, and when you fast, so here's one piece of our trellis that we're going to establish today. He says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces. And here's why they fast, that their fasting may be seen by others. Do you see it? They're trying to create a pretty trellis. They're trying to create something that looks good on the outside. He's talking about a group of hyper-religious hypocrites that were very concerned about external appearances. So they engaged in spiritual habits in order to make themselves look good. They even made a spectacle of those things. So to use our metaphor, these folks that Jesus is admonishing were very concerned about a pretty trellis, but they weren't at all concerned about bearing fruit. But remember, the vine dresser doesn't care how pretty your trellis is. He cares if the trellis help you as a branch bear more fruit. So look what Jesus says to these hypocrites. This is, this is the next line that Jesus says. It's up here on the screen. He says, truly I say to you, and this is rough, they've received their reward. In other words, if you're aiming for a pretty trellis, a pretty trellis is all you're going to get. But you're not going to accomplish the eternal goal, the ultimate goal of bearing more fruit. You want to look good on the outside so that you may be seen by others and engage in these spiritual habits so everybody goes, wow, what a pretty trellis. Then that's all you're going to get because the vine dresser does not care how pretty your trellis is. The trellis is there as a support structure to help you as a branch bear more fruit. Jesus reminds us that spiritual habits are not there in our lives because they have intrinsic value. They're not there to make us look good. They're not there to help you impress God because if you're in Christ, you already impress him completely because he sees you through the lens of Jesus. The job of a trellis is to support us so that we bear more fruit. So as we incorporate these spiritual habits in the coming weeks, remember that God is not concerned about how you look. He's not concerned about how pretty your trellis is. His desire is that you bear fruit. And a spiritual support structure can help you and me do that. So we've established the purpose of spiritual disciplines. So let's talk about the life habit that Jesus mentions here, fasting. I, I, I talked to somebody after the first service, and, and she said when I mentioned fasting, she almost physically went like this. Like nobody goes, we're talking about fasting. I'm going to bring a friend to church. This is going to be really good. Like, I mean, nobody wants to talk about fasting usually. But if we understand fasting, again, as part of a spiritual support 
structure and understand it for what it is biblically, it can be a really great part of our spiritual trellis. So if you're taking notes, jot this down because this is what fasting is. Fasting is voluntarily going without X for the purpose of prayer. Fasting is voluntarily going without X, and we'll fill in that blank in a minute. It could be any number of things for the purpose of prayer. So biblically speaking, that X is always food. So in Scripture, when people fast, they voluntarily go without food for the purpose of prayer. Uh, The nation of Israel did it. Daniel did it. Elijah did it. Jesus himself did it. There's a modern Bible scholar, though, named Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's with the Lord now, and and he, he wrote this. He said, fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything, which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. I'm going to read that first part again. Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some spiritual purpose. In other words, fasting does not necessarily mean we fast from food. We can abstain from anything. We can uh, fill in that blank with just about anything for the sake of prayer. So that's why my definition includes an X. That X can be anything. We'll talk about what it might be for you in a moment. But before... We determine together, each of us as individuals, what that X might be that we might fast from in order to drive us to prayer. Let's establish this, and I think this is so, so critical to understand what fasting is and how it works. It's up here on the screen. Fasting is about our appetite. Fasting is about our appetite. If you're taking notes, jot this down. This is so foundational to understand fasting and even to engage in fasting in a way that's helpful and constructive for you as you grow spiritually to become more like Jesus and as you experience his liberating grace. Fasting is about your appetite. So listen, throughout Scripture, individuals fast for any number of reasons. They fast to seek God's direction. The nation of Israel fasted to seek God's favor when Esther went before the king. People fast in repentance or even in mourning. David did both of those things. But in every case, the common thread that runs through every biblical fast is that fasting is about an appetite. Here's the thing. You and I were born with a fundamental appetite for God. A thirst, a hunger that can only be satiated by our creator. But we have a tendency to satisfy that thirst or satisfy that hunger with things that aren't God. They aren't necessarily bad things. In fact, they might be really good gifts from God. But when you and I try to fill our spiritual bellies with something that isn't God himself, we are satisfied for a time, but we aren't nourished in our very soul. And sometimes that indulgence in things that aren't God in order to satisfy our appetite for God spoil our appetite for God. A a theologian named Cornelius Plantinga writes this. Listen close. A person's appetites are linked. Full stomachs and jaded palates take the edge off of our hunger and thirst for righteousness. They spoil the appetite for God. 
We have plenty of biblical examples of God followers and God seekers who chose not to satisfy their hunger for God with anything that wasn't God himself. And in that choice, they defined fasting for us as the removal of some element of this temporary life that tends to inappropriately cause us to feel satisfied in something other than God. And the result is that our appetite for God, when we withdraw from those things, our appetite for God is fueled. Let's talk about an example just so we understand. Have you ever been on, uh, like, vacation and eaten nothing but junk food for an entire week? You ever done that before? Here's, here's when I tend to do that. I tend to do that when, when, um, when Amy and I do road trips. My wife is always in charge of snacks, airplane snacks and road trip snacks. And it's never like I've cut up some fresh vegetables and fruit and quinoa. You know, it's never that. It's like Chicago mix. Do you get Chicago mix at Costco, anybody? It's like half cheesy popcorn and half caramel popcorn. And she's like, yeah, some of you are giving thumbs up. You just had a spiritual experience. Yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus, Chicago mix. Or like it's, it's Twizzlers and candy. And I'll eat that stuff all day in the car. And I'll get to the end of the day. And it's really funny that the edge has been taken off my hunger, but I'm not really nourished like I need to be nourished. You know what I mean? You ever feel that before? And you're like, man, I got to eat something, but I've been eating all day. What's, the, what's, what's happening here? In the same way, fasting is choosing not to feed our appetite for spiritual junk food such that we increase our appetite for God himself. And we're driven to the banquet table that is his very presence where we will be eternally satisfied and nourished at our very core. Does that make sense? One preacher explains it this way. He says, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. Fasting is simply a way to stop satisfying ourselves with other things and seek the satisfaction that comes only from God himself. You see, fasting is about your appetite. So here's the thing. No matter where you are spiritually, if you consider yourself a Christian, or if you consider yourself a God seeker, or if you have questions about God, even if you're a cynic, even if it was like, you know what, I'm here because, you know, I, I had needed something to do the morning of Super Bowl Sunday, and so somebody drug me along to church with them. No matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, fasting can be a good habit to engage in in order to take the edge off of that appetite for things of this world and increase your appetite for God. Rather than running to things to satisfy that internal hunger that can only be satisfied satisfied by God himself, you withdraw from those things for a moment, voluntarily withdraw, and seek the face of God. Fasting can stoke your appetite for what truly satisfies, and that's God himself. So so here's what I want to do to close. Um, I want to encourage you to engage in a Lent fast. I want to encourage you or exhort you to engage in a Lent fast. Fast. We're going to talk about Lent here in a minute, but Lent begins on Wednesday and it extends all the way through Thursday, March 24th. So it's like 45 days or something like that. So what I'm going to tell you to do is go without food for 40. No, that's not what I'm going to tell you to do. Nobody panic. Nobody panic. We'll get there in a minute. 
Lent begins again this Wednesday. It's Ash Wednesday, and it extends through Thursday, March 24th. The season of Lent in the liturgical calendar kind of finds its roots in uh, 40 days, Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness before he was tempted by Satan. And traditionally, faith systems practice uh, th- that practice liturgical traditions engage in Lent. Some of you have maybe even engaged in a Lent fast before, depending on what faith background you come from, if any at all. But typically, here's what happens. Folks engage in a Lent fast in order to prove how sorry they are for their sin. To prove to God, I'm really mourning, I'm really repentant, I'm going to engage in a fast in order to prove to you how sorry I am for my sin. But remember what we talked about? Vine dresser doesn't care how pretty your trellis is. That's not the point of a Lent fast. So I'd like to put a little bit of a spin on Lent for us this morning. I want to encourage you to engage in a Lent fast in order to seek the face of God. To choose to abstain from X, whatever that X is, again, we'll talk about some suggestions here in a minute, for the purpose of prayer. Choose not to satisfy your hunger for God with things that aren't God. Choose to withdraw from spiritual junk food just for a period of time so that you're driven to the banquet table that is the presence of Almighty God, so that you might increase your appetite for God himself. We with You with me on what the picture is, what we're doing, and what we're after? Okay, let's talk about some suggestions. You can fast from food. You can fast from food. Please don't fast from food for 45 days, okay, because we like you, and if you do this, you will not be likable. So if you don't eat for 45 days... So here, here's some suggestions that you can do. Let's, let's start here. If, if food is a struggle for you or if food's been a struggle for you in the past in terms of eating disorders, things like that, there's nine other suggestions here. This is not what you want to engage in. I'm just telling you right now, don't. Don't. Your, your physical health is more important. So we got nine other things that you can fast from. But, but you could fast from white sugar for 45 days. You could fast from wheat for 45 days. You could fast from lunch on Friday for 45 days. You could fast from dessert for 45 days. I mean, that's, is that even realistic? Let's be honest. <laughs> this is not to prove to God how awesome you are, to create a pretty trellis in your life. It's to stop running to food to satisfy your spiritual hunger that only God can satisfy. Um, I, I'm trying to, trying to think if I should tell you this story. Okay, good. Uh, perfect. Um, so do you, are you like me? Do you ever eat your emotions? You ever do that? Yeah, some of you, some of you, yes, I do. Okay. So I, sometimes I'll get to the end of a long week or like the end of a very long day or a stressful day and I'll be sitting at home with Amy like watching TV or whatever and like songs will start running through my head. And it's like, why is this song stuck in my head? Like, Four, three, nine, oh, 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 pizza nova, you know. It's like 10, 10.30 at night and I'm like, I, if literally I, I would kill someone for a pizza right now and I don't even have to do that. I can make one phone call and they'll bring me one. I don't even have to get up. For 10 bucks, they'll bring me a pizza. And Amy's like, you know, you're trying to satisfy your hunger for God with something that, you know, isn't God. You know that, right? So if you're with me, if this is sometimes what you do, that you feed your hunger for God with things that aren't God, this might be a good option. 
If, this is, if you struggle with that in the past, please don't do that. We have nine other options. Let's look at option number two. You can fast from media. You can fast from media. You can fast from TV, internet. Some of you are like, that is not, no, no, that is not. You remember, like, especially young people, that your parents did not have the interweb. You remember that? They didn't have that, and they did just fine. You might not think they did, but they did. They had rotary phones, and it took like an hour to dial, you know, I just hope there's no nines in this thing because I got to go all the way around, you know. You fast from media because sometimes we have this spiritual appetite for God and only God will satisfy and we run to media to satisfy it. Withdraw, let it stoke your appetite for Jesus. How about social media? Stop posting on Instagram for crying out loud. We don't need to see what you ate or what you didn't eat for that matter, okay. We do, like stop posting on Twitter. It's going downhill anyway. Stop posting on the Facebook. Take it fast from 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 social media, just for a little while. Option number four. It's up here. Hobbies. Um, you could, you could fast from hobbies. If you are a golfer, it's winter time. You're not golfing anyway. That doesn't count as a fast. Okay, it's voluntarily withdrawing from X, not seasonally because you can't. It's too cold. Just withdraw from that hobby that you run to to satisfy your hunger for God so that your hunger for God gets stoked. Keep going. You fast from shopping. I'll just leave that one there. Um, you, can fa- you can fast from alcohol. I know a guy who just did this. He's not a big drinker anyway. Uh, he, he's not, you know, he, that's, that's kind of not his bag, but he likes wine. And so he fasted from alcohol for 30 days and just, and just left it alone for 30 days. And so he doesn't, doesn't have an abuse issue, doesn't have a substance abuse issue or whatever. But he said it was one of the best spiritual decisions he ever made. Because sometimes he's like, you know, sometimes I run to that. To take the edge off of my hunger when really I should run to Jesus to satisfy my hunger. You with me? Keep going. We, you could fast from planning. Now... For some of you, this will not make any sense at all, and that's okay. Dial out for the next 90 seconds. But for some of you, this will absolutely make total sense. You experience anxiety, you experience difficulty, and there's a hunger in your soul for something more than yourself. There's a hunger in your soul for God. And what you fill up that hunger with and what you satisfy that hunger with is control over your future in the form of planning. You say, I'm, this is the classes I'm going to take at university. I'm going to go into this city or that city and stay there a year and make money and prosper. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get my whole life planned out. I'm going to plan my next vacation. I'm going to financial plan and all that stuff. Could you take a Lent fast for 40, 45 days, give or take, and fast from planning? Don't run to that in order to satisfy your hunger. Run to Jesus. What if you fasted from your cell phone for Lent? No. Look at. What if you fasted from booing in the service? How about that? <laughs> don't get, don't get crazy here. Don't like. I'm gonna put my cell phone away for 45 days. You're not gonna be able to do it. I'm just telling you. Don't get crazy. Set reachable goals. Okay, attainable goals. What if you said every Saturday I'm gonna fast from my cell phone? Just for Saturday. Just for Sunday. Just for Sunday. Like, you're supposed to turn it off in church anyway, so just put it away. Put it away the whole day. What if you said, after 6 p.m., I'm going to fast from my cell phone? How many of you would be willing to admit, just in a moment of honesty, that sometimes I run to my cell phone for comfort? Okay, on three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Yay! The rest of you are lying. Um, <laughs> what, if you sp- what if you fasted from sports? 
What if you fasted from sports? Get this, Lent starts Wednesday. I know, big game tonight. So you you watch that and then fast, okay? And even like we all overeat too on Super Bowl Sunday, right? So it's like I'm going to indulge and then I'm going to fast on Wednesday from sports and food. What if you did this? Caffeine. What if you fasted from that? Now that's just crazy talk is what that is. That is, that is crazy. Some of you, please don't fast from caffeine because it helps you to be bearable. So, so stick with it. But what if you said, look, I'm going to do coffee in the morning and then the afternoon at 2.30, 3 o'clock when I need a little pick-me-up, I'm going to switch to tea, decaf. I'm just going to run away from caffeine where I kind of run to, to fill up my hunger for God sometimes. And, and I'm going to run to God himself instead. I'm going to fast from caffeine. Now watch, now watch this. this. This is great. Watch this. Look up here. Are any of these things morally bad things? Now some of you might look up here and say, oh, alcohol is a morally bad thing. Jesus' first miracle was not water into Gatorade, okay? Water into wine. So not a morally bad thing, morally neutral thing. Sometimes we make it a morally bad thing when we abuse it. But these are not morally bad things. In fact, they're gifts from God. They're part of his common grace to us. Praise God for caffeine. So this, these are, these can be, these are, these can be fun things. They can be good things. But listen, they're not God. So they're not going to satisfy your hunger for God. This is not true spiritual nourishment in your heart. Fasting is just withdrawing from X for a period of time in order to run to God himself. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to conclude this way. This is Jesus' admonition to the Pharisees, to the hypocrites that were listening to him in Matthew chapter 5, or in Matthew chapter 6. He says, and when you fast. Now look really closely here. Is anyone seeing a commandment here? Jesus is not commanding that we fast. He, he, he knows that his audience that's listening to him they do fast. So he's saying when you fast, here are some instructions on how to do that well. Here are some instructions on how not to mess that up. When you fast, do it this way. Check this out. Jesus never commands that we fast. Did you know that? The Bible never commands that we fast. The Bible describes the people of God and individuals who are seeking God or following after God or want to know God more. The Bible describes how they fast and what they fast from and the results, but the Bible never commands it. And here's what I think. I think that God is not trying to be heavy-handed with us here. It's almost as if God is whispering this to us and listen, do you want to be satisfied in the depths of your soul? Do you want to drink from the water that will never leave you thirsty? One way to tap into that well is to withdraw from the other wells that you run to. I'm not commanding you to do this. I'm just telling you, you will never be satisfied there. It will never meet that thirst or quench that thirst. It will never satisfy that hunger. It will never take that longing away. So stop feeding your appetite with those things and feed your appetite for me. That's, that's, that's fasting. It's not complicated. Voluntarily withdrawing from X for a time in order to run to prayer 
and to satisfy our longing for God with the only thing that will satisfy God. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray together. The band and the worship team are going to come back up and lead us in a final song of response. But just in this moment of quiet, just you and the Lord, I would encourage you to maybe consider one of those things to voluntarily withdraw from for 40, 45 days for the sake of prayer. Officially, Lent ends on Thursday, March 24th. But I would encourage you even to extend your fast through Easter Sunday. We'll celebrate together on Easter Sunday. You can break your fast on Easter Sunday evening, March 27th. What, what stuck out to you? Let God bring that to mind. Bring that to your heart. Which one of those things did you read up there and think, man, that's me. I run to that thing. So I'm going to fast from that for, for maybe a period of time and pockets of my day or on one day a week or something. So I'm not feeding my appetite for God with something that's not God so that I run to him. It's not about creating a pretty spiritual trellis so everybody can look at me and say, wow, how spiritual that person is. It's about availing myself of the sanctifying and liberating grace of God. God, we love you. We want to experience you and know you. God, we want to set these habits and these rhythms and practices, these disciplines, these spiritual exercises up in our life such that we experience you such that we tap into your grace. So God, teach us not to satisfy our longings, to satisfy our hunger and thirst for you with something that isn't you. And God, for the people in this room, for those in this room who are choosing to fast for 45 days from something, God, would you reward us with your presence? Would you reward us with your spirit? Would you reward us with your grace? Because you alone can satisfy. In Christ's name, the people of God said.